Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we continue in our series, Jesus, Life-Changing Conversations, we'll be hearing from Pastor Nick about Jesus' conversation with his disciples in Luke 10. We hope and pray that this message challenges and encourages you today. Now let's hear from Pastor Nick. Good morning. I am so glad that you're here today. As we continue, what you just heard on the screen is the idea of the conversations. Because I'll contend um, that these conversations are not just those that Jesus had with people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, walking around, skin on Jesus, conversations with different people. They're ultimately conversations that he wants to have with us. So if you have your Bibles with you today, just like I did, I want you to invite you to turn to the book of Luke, um, chapter 10, New Testament, third book over, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 10 as we look at the words of Jesus to a whole group of people, Um, maybe like the group of people that we have assembled here today. It says in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now he says, after this. So what is it after? Well, it's the first verse of chapter 10 and how we denote the Bible. So it comes at the heels of chapter 9. And what's going on right there is this group of people, this man in particular saying, Hey, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, be careful what you say. Because the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He's like, you know, foxes have dens and birds have holes. But me, I'm camping out until I reach my final destination. And he says, hey, well, let me come and follow you. But, but, but first, I've got to go and, you know, bury my parents. His parents were alive and well. So he's literally just talking about their retirement years. Hey, I want to follow you, but... And Jesus says, hey, look, nobody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit to follow me. Jesus is on a forward-marching momentum movement towards his destination, and anybody that was going to go better move fast and keep up. He's given them a picture of what it means to truly follow him, meaning that you've abandoned everything else. And then he takes these 72 people, and we're thinking, well, 72? I thought he only had 12 disciples. Well, he did have an inner core of 12 people, but Jesus amassed crowds and crowds of people gathered and followed him everywhere he went. And on this particular day, he takes 72 of them and sends them out two by two to go and to be his missionaries. And this is the thing that we have to know, that whenever we understand that we have been called to come to Jesus, the call to come to him always leads to the command to go. It started right in the very beginning. If you go back to the book of Luke chapter 5, you don't have to get there. But the disciples are, uh, Peter and his brother, they're literally sitting on the side of the shore and they're washing and mending their nets. You had to do that every single day as a fisherman because as they got old and gross and deteriorated, you didn't want your nets to break. So you had to mend and tend your nets every single time you went out. And these guys had just finished a long labored night of fishing and they didn't catch anything. And you'll know that because Jesus looks at them and says, hey, uh, let me get into your boat and put out a little bit from the shore. And of course they say yes. Jesus is amassing a little bit of popularity in the community and so they let him do that. They're washing their nets and Jesus gets in the boat and they put out just a little bit from the shore and he begins to teach the crowds. And he looks at Peter and he's like, hey, put out into deep water and cast your nets. And he's like, Lord, listen, we fished all night long and didn't catch a thing, but because you say so, we'll do it. 
Now, it didn't make sense to him as a fisherman because in that moment of time, what he understood is that, okay, the fish, they feed at certain times a day. And if you're throwing out your net, you want to skim the fish that are feeding on the surface of the water. Well, what he understood is that if you put out into deep water, those fish are going to be even deeper. They're not going to come to the surface of the water during the day and let you catch them. This was not the proper time. An expert fisherman knew this. This was not the proper time to go about catching fish. But he says, because you say so, we will. You know, there's a powerful truth in the fact that, okay, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit my logical understanding of the way that the world works. But because Jesus said it, we're going to do it. I was that guy before I had kids who said to myself, I will never say to my kids, because I said so. Well, I threw that out the window about the day they were born. You know it, right? And I actually love that. Because I said so is enough of an answer for you too. You don't always need or deserve the explanation. The fact that I'm your father placed in your life as a loving caregiver and appointed by God as an authority over you, sometimes because I said so, that's all the answer they need. Sometimes because he said so is all the instruction we need and all the instruction that we're going to get. And so Peter says, okay, because you said so, I'll do it. And you know what happened in the story. They cast out their nets and they caught such a great multitude of fish that day that the boats, the nets began to break. The boats began to capsize. They had to call fishing partners over to help them bring that in that day. And then Peter falls down because he's like, whoa, you really are something special. Just wicked man that I am. How in the world? world am I worthy of you? And then Jesus says these words to him. You can find them in Luke chapter 5. You can find them as they're written in your notes in Matthew chapter 4. He says, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And it says at once, it says in Matthew chapter 4, it says in Luke chapter 5, at once they left their nets and followed him. See, Jesus told them right from the beginning. There was no bait and switch. There was no, hey, come and follow me, and I'm going to give you everything that you ever want in life, and it's going to be so crystal clear easy. And I think that we as the church, and there's certainly a broader church outside this world that has continued to do that in life. We call it a prosperity gospel. Well, if you love Jesus, you're going to get all your needs met. If you love Jesus, well, then you're going to have all these financial blessings. Well, if you'll just come to Christ or come to this altar, then everything is going to be absolutely perfect in your life. Is that anybody in this room's experience? with following Jesus? No, right from the beginning we were told that if we come to him, we will be sent out by him. See, coming to Jesus means understanding that you were sent by Jesus. Coming to Jesus means understanding right out of the gate that you will be sent by Jesus. John chapter 20, he's concluding words to his disciples. He says, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you come to Jesus, you will be sent by Jesus. Where? Well, it continues in Luke chapter 10. It says, He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, there's a difference between being commissioned and being compelled. And it's right there for us if we look at the words. Like this whole idea of being sent in verse 1 is the word apostolo. It's where we get the word apostle, the delegates, the messengers, those who are sent by God. That's a beautiful picture of you being invited. Okay, who will go out into the world? Who will go on this missionary journey? Who will tell your neighbor about Jesus? I am sending you. And you graciously accepting the call to say, 
I will go. It's the Isaiah passage of Scripture. Who will go for us? Here I am, Lord. Send me. But that's, that's not the word sent in verse 2. It's ekbalo. It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to not apostolo, but ekbalo workers out into the field. That's the word cast away. That's the word throw it out there. It's literally the word to put down. It's not the Isaiah picture. Raise my hand. Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me, Lord. Send me there. It's a hard journey, but Isaiah was excited. It's the Jonah journey. The one that's like, you want to send me where? No, I think I'll go the other way. You're going to actually have to swallow me up with a fish and then spit me out in the right direction before I choose the right path. A lot of us like to think that we're apostolic. Okay, send me. But more of us are a little bit like, Ekbalo, I'm not going to go there until the Lord literally orders the steps in your life to push you into the place where he wants you to go. No matter how you got there, commissioned or compelled, we're all sent by God to be on mission. What's it going to take for you? Willing to serve and go or a little bit reluctant and you got to be pushed out the door? So we pray, Lord, there's not enough people saying, oh, here I am, send me. To pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll kick us out of the nest and force us to go to the places that we need to go to share the message that we need to share. We can understand it, right? Because the world's hard. And we assume that everybody out there who doesn't know Jesus has already made a firm and fast decision in their life not to know Jesus on purpose. And we don't want to offend them and we certainly don't want to be labeled some sort of fanatic in any sort of derogatory way. And we, we read the headlines about Christians and all the things that we've done wrong in the world and we understand what it means to be isolated and we understand what it means. We don't want, to be, we don't want people to assume that we're not nice. We don't want people to assume. So all of a sudden we feel a little bit persecuted because the world isn't flocking to our doors saying, please, you look so different. What's that, what's that about you? What's going on in your life? Please tell me everything that you do. I want to believe all the things. Like the world is not flocking to us and it's because we're called to go to them. It's not a surprise that it's difficult. It's not a surprise that it's hard. In verse 3 it says this, look, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I'm going to appoint 72 others. I'm going to send them out into the community. It's a great, beautiful thing. I'm commissioning you to go. And when you go and you realize that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, you just pray and ask me and I'll kick some more people out there your way to help you on the mission. But be careful. Hey, look at this. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And here's what I have to say to us as a church of people who want to not only proclaim Jesus Christ, but to be like Jesus Christ. Among never means alike. Sending us out like lambs among wolves never means that we're supposed to be like the wolves. Jesus prayed for us. It's written down in John chapter 17. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. That'd be so good. Like the moment that we came to know Christ, he just whipped us up to heaven in a whirlwind and we got to be there forever and we never had to deal with any of the challenges or any of the problems or any of the difficulties that are present in this day and age. And so we just think that'd be so great, but that's not what Jesus is saying. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We talked about the evil one a lot in our last series. That was all about the armor of God that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You've heard the expression in it, but not of it. You see, in it, we're supposed to be like lambs, not of it, like the wolves. But we act like wolves because we're competitive and we don't want to lose, right? 
it feels in some ways like Christianity is, is losing ground. And the reason that we think that we ought to always be on top of the social and the political and the cultural pyramids is because in our experience here, our very young experience here as Americans, we kind of have always been on top of the social and the political and the cultural pyramids. And so losing even one step on the hierarchical ladder of what it means to be popular in culture, we all of a sudden feel like we are persecuted. Our experience here in America has never, ever, ever been the experience of other Christians all around the world. This week I was privileged to kind of tune in after the fact to a women's ministry conference that Susan was watching called the If Gathering, and I typed up these words verbatim. Jenny Allen, the leader of that conference, says, Throughout history misspelled throughout in my word in my notes like I misspelled throughout so it kind of got it tripped me up there for a second throughout history persecution has always grown the church what if I told you that the fastest growing churches in the world are happening in the 10 most dangerous countries for a Christian to live number one on the list I ran There is now an estimated one million believers in Iran alone. Those churches have no bank account, have no 501c3, have no buildings, have no seminaries. They are comprised of former prostitutes, former drug lords, former Islamic radicals, many of them women. In a male-dominated culture, women are leading a movement to multiply Christ's followers by the thousands. And any time... We as believers feel like we're having to take even one step back. We are all of a sudden on the slippery slope to becoming like Nazi Germany or communist Russia or fascist Italy or all of a sudden Islamic Iran. And we feel like our backs are up against the wall of the world. Assuming really wrongly that if, our, if we lose our status as believers we will lose our effectiveness as evangelists. Tell that to those people in Iran. If you don't have any social status, any political currency, if you don't have any sort of cultural power as believers, then you can hang it up in terms of being evangelists. Mm -mm. They don't need any of that. We're scared and we're a little bit angry. So we vote and we post and we somehow think that it's our call to defend Jesus against anybody who would not believe him in culture. And if we can't make the government validate our beliefs, we'll yell loudly enough on social media to change someone's opinion. Raise your hand, anybody in this room. If being bullied has ever made you change your opinion about anything or anyone, And yet we assume that we can strong arm someone into abandoning their fundamental beliefs and choosing to adopt ours in Jesus. And not only do they now have to get over all the hurdles of disbelief of what this word says, they also have to get over all their hurdles of disbelief of what our behavior led to. We were never called to go out and act like wolves. We were called to be lambs among the wolves. And that's a whole different animal. It's a big task that we've been called to as sent people. 
If you look really closely at the remainder of the passage, you get this beautiful recipe of what that looks like, starting in verse 1. Together is better. Together is always better. He says he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. We know that two is better than one. I often say it in weddings that Ecclesiastes chapter 4 reminds us that, hey, two people are better than one. If one falls down, the other can help him up. If they lie down together, they will more likely keep warm if they stick close by. Or if two can, one can be overpowered, two can definitely stand strong. Two are better than one because they always have a greater return for their work. We say in the life of our family ministry that two influences combined are greater than any sort of two influences that are separate. That's why we partner with families. That's why we want to be together with kids on Sunday mornings. That's why we want to be together in student ministry small groups because we believe that that sense of togetherness makes us better when we go out into the world. This two idea are always better than one. So Jesus sends them out two by two. We need one another to be on this mission and be sent together. The next one is travel lightly. Travel lightly. It says in verse 4, do not take a purse or bag or sandals, which just sounds like really great packing to me. You don't have to take anything with you. I'll just confess that my family has not been on a trip where all five of us board an airplane together and go someplace, and this is why. Not that we couldn't afford the tickets, but we couldn't afford the extra baggage fees because every time we go anywhere, we take 47 bags per person and we fill up the entire back of a minivan and sometimes a little pod that goes on top. We don't know how to do it. I look at Susan right before we go on vacation and say, we should all be able to pack in one little bag per person that can be easily stored in an overhead bin on an airline flight. We can't do it. Jesus says, pack lightly. Don't take anything with you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this, throw off everything hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you throw it all off we don't need it we need to travel lightly why because we need to stay focused on our prime purpose it says do not take purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road when you're in the house first say peace to this house. This doesn't make any sense to us because we feel like when we're on the journey, we should always pause and talk to strangers, right? Well, this is the the gospel call to be friendly to people. This idea of greeting each other in that culture, this wasn't a simple, hey, how's it going? What's up? Greeting, and then you both stay on your way. It was literally stop and take all this time and not go, and it was literally the same picture that Elisha, way back in the book of 2 Kings, gave to his servant, You see, there was a Shunammite woman who had been blessed with a son, and the son died. And he sees her coming up the hill to find Elisha the prophet in the moment. He doesn't quite know. He said that God hid it from his eyes. He didn't know why the Shunammite woman was coming. And when the Shunammite woman got there, she said, my child is dead. And he looked to his servant, and he said, go to that boy. Lay my staff on his head. Do not greet anyone along the way. You want to know why? Because it's a matter of life and death. We're to look at this mission that we're given and stay focused on the task at hand because it really is a matter of life and death. It's don't get distracted. We have one job. We just talked about the fiery darts of the enemy that are thrown at us in the book of Ephesians when it's talking about the armor of God that you can withstand the fiery darts of the evil. When we understand that those fiery darts aren't deadly blows, but they're distractions that prevent us from doing the job that God has called us to do. We got one job. So don't greet anyone on the road. It's not just being rude. Sure, you need to say hello to people. Sure, you need to put a smile on your face. 
even when you're masked, because people can see it in your eyes. Like, sure, we need to be kind, but we also got to remain focused, focused on our prime purpose, and then we got to dig deep. It says in verse 7, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker desires his wages. Do not move around from house to house. We often quote, as it's related to Justice and Mercy International, our missions organization, that long obedience in the same direction. From a Eugene Peterson book, it's the idea of long obedience in the same direction. Stay a while. Stay focused. I'm, I'm the world's worst about going to whatever haircut place is the closest, whatever haircut place is the cheapest, whatever haircut place is the first available. And I've got some buddies that have literally been going to the same hairstylist for three, four, five, seven, ten years. And you know what they know? They know her story. They know her family. They know about her divorce. They know about her kids. They know about her finances. They know how hard COVID hit her. And I'm just going to the first available. So world's worst right here in terms of long obedience in the same direction, building that relationship for the express purpose of being a a hope-filled Christ follower in someone's life. You know what I do when I go to Target or the grocery store? I do self-checkout because it's faster. And I don't have to be interrupted by anybody. And I can just do my own thing. You know what a focused, sent believer does? They go to the checkout that's got somebody working at it. Maybe the same person that they saw two days ago, visiting the same restaurant, sitting in the same server section on the same night of the week for the purpose of building that relationship, taking the same route, the same time of day when you walk your dog so that you can see the same neighbors and deepen that relationship. Dig deep. You want to know the national average for pastors in the life of a church? It's actually gotten a little better in the last 20 years. It used to be three and a half. Now it's six. Still not a whole lot to write about. Youth pastors, 18 months. You can't even learn the names of all the teenagers in 18 months, much less make a lasting impression on their lives and build a really deep relationship. This is a picture. Stay in the same house. Eat with the same people. Live in this. I don't know the tenure of a, of a church partner in a community. I know that we're a transient society and people move a lot. I also know that people change churches a lot, floating around from one place to the next. Whoever's got the best teaching or the best music, you're not going to, I mean, I like Joel a lot. You're not going to find the best of the best of the best of anything here. There's lots of great places. But what we want you to dig deep in is a community. Let this be your two-by-twos. Let this be your family that you go with. Let this be your family that you grow with. Let this be the people that know you and that help you be known says in verse 8, just continuing through verse 11, when you, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. The instruction that we get from these verses is to be wise and discerning. You know when somebody is open to the message of the gospel and when someone is closed. Well, if someone's closed, shouldn't we, shouldn't we stay there? No, you should kick the dust off your feet in as kind a way possible and move on to the next relationship where you can see the possible hope-filled return of something. Doesn't it sound terrible to do that? I don't think it sounds terrible. I think it sounds trusting. Because what you're saying is that you believe that Scripture is true. Passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where, where, where Paul says, hey, I planted, 
Apollos watered, but it was God who gave growth. You're literally going with the message of the gospel and trusting that God will bring the results. And so you're literally going to the next place, the next town, the next relationship with the message of the gospel, staying as long as you're welcome, as long as there are questions, as long as there's conversations, as long as there's a depth to the relationship, and then moving on to the next, hoping that Christ will come behind you and bring growth. The reason why we're sent is because God commands, because you say so, I'll do it. Because you say so willingly, you don't have to twist my arm, God. But also because it, it, it brings joy. It's in your notes that there's more joy in being sent and spent, giving it all you got, than staying home and playing it safe. It says if you skip down to verse 17, that the 72, they returned, came back to Jesus. And it says, with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Lord, we were able to accomplish much. We were able to see incredible things happen. We were able to perform miracles. There is great joy when we do the thing that God has called us to do. John Piper in the book Don't Waste Your Life says this, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, if you live on mission, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, but your joy will be full. There is more joy in going to the place where it's hard and going to the place where you're spent and going where the risk is high than there is in staying home and playing it safe. I remember expressing my call to ministry to my family and hearing these words, oh, that's so great, just don't go to Africa. And I think that was the call of a lot of young, eager, excited Christian would-be pastors in my day. Your family embraced the fact that you might have a call of God on your life to do something great, like be the pastor of a local church or a, or, or a worship minister in a local church or a, a, a teaching minister in a local church or even a missionary in your community. But don't go to places where it's hard and you don't have running water. I tell you, there is more joy in going to the place that's hard, where the risk is really, really high than to hanging back and playing it safe all the time. We were always, 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 always commanded to go deep. There is nothing shallow about our call. So who are you praying for by name to know Jesus? How many spiritual conversations and questions are you leaning into and what opportunities are you seizing because you've been sent to share Jesus? It's always been the deep end. It's always been the deep end. I remember when my kids were really, really young and they really hadn't had swimming lessons and you would go to the YMCA and there would be these zero entry pools. You know, people advertise that. We've got a zero entry pool. And that just meant that the water kind of came up this level and you could kind of 
ease into it. And that was so fun. Like we had such a great time. Our kids would sit on their bottoms in their little swimmy diapers and they would splash around and there would usually be like a giant mushroom with waterfall coming onto their heads and little toys that they could play with. But over on the other side of the pool, past this little rope that floated that you weren't supposed to hang on to because the lifeguards would yell at you if you did. Like on the other side of the rope was the, the deep end. And guess what was in the deep end? The slide was in the deep end. The diving board was in the deep end. I mean, it's Williamson County, North uh, Tennessee. We've got the climbing wall that's in the deep end. It's all the bougie things that you can imagine that would be at the pool, but all the good stuff is out there in the deep end. So you've got the deep end where you can drown, but you've also got the deep end where you can play to the fullest extent of what the water has to offer. Now, oh, when they're little, of course, you, you, you play in the zero entry, shallow end of the pool, but you never in your mind think that they're not going to one day get from there all the way out there. We've always been called to go to the deep end right from the very beginning. Cast your nets out into deep water. We've always been called to go to the place that's deep. We've also always been go to the, called to go to the place that doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. We've been called to go to the deep place. We were never, ever, ever called to stay in the shallow end. There's nothing shallow about this call of God on our life. When Jesus finished speaking, he looked at Peter and says, let's go out into deep water. Let's put out our nets for a catch. And then he says, hey, you come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Chapter 9, right before this, he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It was always going to be hard. It was always going to be tough. It was always going to be deep. It was always going to require a lot. And yet we've been called and commissioned to go. As a church campus, we'll make a transition on Easter Sunday. What? What? We're doing something new. We're actually going to go to three services that day. 8, 9, 30, and 11. And you're thinking, why would we do that? There are plenty of chairs in this space. Yeah. But we're just trusting. We're, 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 we're casting the net out into deep water and, and trusting. Did you know that at the beginning of COVID-19, all the church growth experts warned us as pastors and leaders and teachers in the community that we would probably only ever get back 30% of the attendance that we had pre-COVID. They've all come back. They've all come back and said, hey, we, we kind of, we, we missed that number. Chances are really good that once all this vaccination stuff goes, once all the headlines die out, once all we figure out how to manage this pandemic, that we really are on the way to being a church in North America that not only meets that pre-COVID attendance, but exceeds that pre-COVID attendance. How many of you as children were told not to do something? It made you want to do it 10 times more. You're like, yep, that's me. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe the unchurched, unbelieving world has now been told, hey, you can't go to church for a whole year and a place that they never, ever, ever considered going, that now because they can't, they're thinking maybe we should. Somehow or another, could it possibly be that the same God who promised us that he would work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to purpose, that somehow he's working all things, even nasty COVID things, somehow together for the good of his purpose to draw people to Jesus? 
that he's whittling out some of the excess in our faith, that he's whittling out some of the wolves that are among us so that we can make room for people who need to meet some lambs and hear a message. So we're, we're opening up the doors to another service that's going to require some of you to move and show up a little earlier and serve in a brand new way. It's certainly going to require our band and our tech team to basically camp out here the night before because they have to be here so early in the morning. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take sacrifice. And we're going to have to dig deep to make it happen. But it's also going to take invitations for, for you to tell people, hey, my church has an extra service on Easter Sunday, and there's plenty of room for us to safely social distance and still honor people's levels of readiness for public gatherings. There's certainly room for us to still stay within city guidelines and, and allow more people to come and to hear a message and to experience what this kind of fellowship can be like. Sometimes I think we think... <laughs> I think we think that, that being an evangelist, that doing the work of sharing your faith, that, that being sent like these 72 it is reserved for some next level portion of Christianity that maybe pastors and missionaries and, 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 and extroverted people get to. It's, it's not the call of certain Christians. It's the call of every follower of Jesus to live a life that is characterized by being sent. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the rest of the world through us. Jesus said, go out there two by two to all the towns that I'm about to get to. Ambassadors, delegates, messengers. That's you. And, and what we really hope is that you feel commissioned and that you raise your hand. Okay, here I am, Lord, send me. Because you say so, I will do it. <laughs> As opposed to the opposite. The ones that we're out there praying for, Lord, we're out here doing the work of the missionaries, but, but the harvest is plentiful and, and the workers are few. Would you make some of those other people get out of their seats and join us? Be the people on the front end not the people way in the back in their seats. Be the people who are willing to go, the ones who are sent. Can you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this day. We know that it was a divinely appointed one. But the reason why the sun came up this morning, the reason why we got out of beds even with one less hour of sleep last night, the reason why we are here in this place is because we're appointed. The reason why we are here in this place is because you sent us. The reason why we live in the home that we live in and drive the streets that we drive and work in the place where we work and attend the school that we school, the reason why we are here in this city during this time for such a day as this is because you sent us here. And you sent us with a purpose. You sent us with a mission. And Lord, we confess today that some of us don't travel very lightly. A lot of baggage that we're dealing with. We confess today, God, that some of us don't stay very focused. We are distracted by so many things in this world when you've literally called us to throw away the things that hinder us from being on your mission. And so we ask today that you would help us, God, to be a people who boldly accept the call to experience your great joy. who truly understand what it means to follow you 
and who are really willing to go to the deep end, to the hard places, to the difficult conversations, even to the spots where we feel threatened. Lord, in humility, would you help us be a people who retain our status as gentle lambs and doves and not meet the aggressions in this world with aggressions of our own, but who literally represent the love of Christ in every interaction that we have because people so desperately need your son. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who who has been one of those people on the other side who has longed for an understanding that you love them and has longed to meet believers who aren't mean, who has longed to put their faith in a God who would save them and who has realized even today that, Christ, you're, you're waiting right there with open arms, ready to offer forgiveness and hope and healing and the kind of peace that you sent us to proclaim. My prayer is that today would be the day that salvation would spring up in this house and that people would understand what it really means to be saved by you, but then also to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in this body. We pray that you would continue, and we pray that we would collectively always meet you with, because you say so, Jesus will do it. Because you say so, we will follow. Wherever you say go, we will go. And whatever you say do, we will do. Because our lives are yours. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you connect. We're really thankful that you're here.